Sharon, thank you so much. And thank you for the opportunity to address this topic in family life and our churches and ministry. And we're gonna have a good time uh, over the next hour. And I'd like to introduce you to my tutors uh, in what it means to age well. Uh, this is Gigi and Grandpops. This is my uh, dad's folks. And uh, they were the quintessential doting grandparents. And before it was um, the wrong thing to do to teach your kids about a little pill bottle, she always had M&Ms in a little pill bottle. And that was our medicine. And I was always glad for Gigi to be bringing that. I remember Grandpop sitting in his lap and just watching TV and just connecting and one of the things about him is he worked for the IRS and he knew everybody in his building from any administrator to the janitor and he greeted them by name. Very personable guy. Um, and I loved, I wish I'd known him longer. He died when I was in third grade. These are my mom's parents, uh, Emmett and Bessie Travis, East Nashville over by Stratford High uh, is where, uh, they lived and I can tell you story after story that my grandfather told me about Hurricane Mills, Tennessee and growing up on a, a farm and they had also a, a sawmill and he just had the run of the place and he talked about his horse, Trixie. And it brings up all kinds of uh, memories in my mind and my grandmother who taught Sunday school uh, and she always had the cookie jar that she took. Sometimes vanilla wafers and animal cracker cookies and other times homemade. But it's this kind of rich sense of memory of seeing people age well and enjoy life that are my role models for navigating the senior years. And then also my mom and dad, uh, great uh, instructors uh, for my life and the senior years. This is dad and mom on his 80th birthday. My dad was always a car guy. And what does an 80 year old need with a Chrysler Hemi engine, Chrysler 300? But oh, he liked driving and getting the looks in town, and parking that, and then he'd sit in front of the drugstore and watch people admire his car. Dad was a car guy. And his ministry as an older man, retired, was driving all of their friends to doctor's appointments because dad loved to drive. He was always in command at the wheel. Uh, yeah, it's Rhonda, you know, nods. And he loved taking naps while they were in their doctor's appointment. And if it was an hour or two or three, it didn't matter. He had his crossword puzzles and he had naps. Life didn't get any better for serving people and meeting his own needs. Um, so anyway, that's, that's the background from which I operate in my life with a love for seniors all my life. And when I'd go shovel snow at an older lady's home, I'd say, just pay me whatever. I wouldn't set a rate. It was always twice to three or four times more than I would have asked for. Anyway, I love uh, my senior experiences in life. So let's have a little trivia contest. Who is this? The Fonz, Arthur Fonzarelli, Henry Winkler. You've seen the ad, he got a pitch as the pitch man for reverse mortgages company uh, here just a year or two ago. And so we see the Fonz again, Perfecta Mundo, brings back memories. Okay, um, here's another one. Mick Jagger, okay. So 75 years of age, 
now. Um, Rhonda and I, when, oh, let's go one more. Yeah. Remember the Sandy Benefit Concert, 12, 12, 12, Hurricane Sandy Benefit Concert? And Rhonda and I, as we watched that on TV. We thought, those guys look like they're still having so much fun. And they were. Their craft, their talent, their abilities, they just kept on doing it and bringing it. How about another one? Who's this? Jimmy Carter. Probably one of our country's most beloved citizens of integrity and faith. And so in this little uh, picture I, I found, it says, my faith demands that I do whatever I can, wherever I am, whenever I can, for as long as I can with whatever I have to try and make a difference. And so at 93, just released a book in March, Faith. I mean, the guy is still living it and doing it and picking up a hammer, and it's not just for photo ops, though there are plenty of great photo ops for seeing a couple, Rosalind and Jimmy, doing such a fine, finishing well with their life. Um, let's reflect theologically for uh, a few moments here. Isaiah chapter 40, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I don't know about you, some mornings I, I wake up and it's, it's, I'm stiff, and it's, it's, I need to just get moving. Laying in bed is not going to help. And I wish for those wings to soar with. Psalm 92. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Notice where they're planted and where they will flourish. And they will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Kind of a strange thing to wish for you, but I hope you'll stay fresh and green. I hope we all will. Continuing, um, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. We have purpose. We have meaning all throughout our lives. Psalm 71, I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Let's go to the book of Acts, chapter 13. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. May we be people of God's own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. And then in verse 36, Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep 
he was buried and his ancestors and his body decayed. He was buried with his ancestors. We see a very positive view of aging in scripture. Throughout our kingdom living, we have purpose, we have meaning, we have encouragement. So I hope we get to share some of that with one another today. We all know the Robert Browning poem, Grold Along With Me, The Best Is Yet To Be, The Last of Life, for which the first was made. Not always put on the little hallmark gift or little plaque, but the last of life for which the first was made. Interesting way to look at that. Our times are in his hands. Who saith a whole I planned? Youth shows but half. Trust God, see all, nor be afraid. The first half is not the big deal. The first half was made for the second half of life. And our culture so focuses on youth. And sometimes at church, appropriately, we're focusing very much on uh, youth and youth ministry. Great. We need to have balance. Because let's look at our senior groups. And let's do a little poll here. So how many of you are in the young boomers, the 55 to 65 birth years? Okay. All right. How about the older middle seniors, our boomers, 46 to 54? Okay. All right. And then how about our builders? Okay. So we've got a good mix representation today. 96. Wow. This is an opportunity for a little bit early of a point, but I'll go ahead and skip ahead because that's the way teaching goes. You notice a lot of who is here and age and mobility challenges. We've got a lot of courageous seniors amongst us. And may we grow 96 and be still at Pepperdine Harbor. Yeah, that is awesome. And your two daughters. So I'm glad you're still raising them well and and coming to this workshop. That is fantastic. So the number of people aged 65 and older is expected to almost double in the next 34 years. What implications does that have for ministry? And some people have inappropriately said, oh, the church is just growing old. It's wonderful. The church is growing old. And these senior saints need to be intergenerationally mixed and engaged with the body because we need all of the parts of our spiritual body. So in January 2008, it's kind of like the boomers who will never admit to fully growing up (laughs) and becoming seniors, uh, just ask Rhonda. Uh, But anyway, in in uh, in 2008, uh, they first reached 62 uh, receiving social security benefits. Approximately 25% of the U.S. population is over the age of 55. 13% of Americans currently are over 65. 65 and older, those are the fastest growing population segments, uh, growing twice as fast as the population as a whole. That has implications for our society, has implications for our church, uh, what we do in ministry. By 2030, uh, U.S. Census estimates are over 20% of the U.S. population will be over 65. One in five. We need to be uh, gearing up. 
All right, boomers, longevity. If you make it till 65, the average male will have another 19 years. A female will have another 26 years. So assuming you make it into good, reasonable health at age 65, the uh, odds are quite well. You've got a lot of time left for loving, living, and kingdom service. Let's have a vision for that. So as we have a little more perspective here, most churches have this significant number of seniors. Some churches have more seniors than adolescents. I love what was shared uh, by Kara Powell uh, earlier in the week and Bill, the 72-year-old. How many of you were in Kara's workshop? Well, it's a good one to listen to, Growing Your Church Young. If you didn't get to it, listen to it on the uh, podcasts here from the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. But this idea that Bill, 72, was his ministry was cheering on kids. And he was enlisting other seniors to show up at kids' events and cheer these kids on, much like having a congregation of grandparents, another case illustration that Kara gave. This idea that having five adults to every one child in your church assigned to be mentoring, loving, grandparenting them, as she said about one church, that's not a church that kids want to leave and get away from. To leave a grandparent-filled church? Mm -mm. And then also, obviously, we have more widows than widowers. Uh, and so how do we uh, pick up with that need? So senior ministry, um, I like to think of it as we base our senior ministry on spiritual foundations that cares for body, mind, and spirit. We certainly want to be engaged in service activities, serving others. And then certainly there's a social part of life, be it introversion or extroversion. We all have our social needs at varying levels. But a lot of senior ministries flip that and they base their ministry for seniors on simply social uh, events and outings and more of an entertainment. And then service and spirituality come. Uh, so I think this is probably the better theological uh, way to look at how we organize senior ministry. And by the way, if you want PowerPoints of today's uh, lesson, you've uh, got my email address on the handout, egray at harding.edu. For those of you who might be listening via MP3, I'd be glad to send that to you. Just email me, egray, spelled with an A-Y, at harding, as in hardinguniversity.edu, egray at harding.edu and I'll be glad to send those to you. So the care of spiritual and psychological health of seniors from research that I've seen is just as important as physical health care concerns. And yet physical health care concerns get a lot more press. Social connection and the quality of relationships are predictors of physical health, longevity, and the quality of life. Social connections. Loneliness is considered a health risk equal to obesity or smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's a pretty phenomenal perspective that you'll see out there in research. In fact, Kara was talking about the problem of loneliness for teens. In a sense, both spectrum ends of life. It is a challenge. 
so that loneliness is not camped out on people like a depressing cloud. So how do we support seniors? What's this idea that 12 Conversations brings to the table? Well, I think it's embracing story, embracing the narrative of our lives. Carl Menninger, the great uh, psychiatrist from uh, years ago said, listening is a magnetic and strange thing, a creative force. The friends who listen to us are the ones we move toward and we want to sit in their radius. When we are listened to, it creates us and makes us unfold and expand. And that's part of sharing the narrative of our life, the stories of our life. And so let's go a little further. How many of you have listened to StoryCorps? Heard that on public radio? It's delightful. And you get a, a, a three to five, seven minute clip of somebody's life that they go into the story booth and they, with another person or alone, tell you a story from their life. NPR is a nonprofit division, independent, um, and its mission is to honor and celebrate the lives of everyday Americans by listening to their stories. So you want something entertaining to do sometime, go to uh, storycore.com, put in your Google search, and you will hear story after story after story. On our public radio uh, station. Uh, it's on Friday mornings as I'm driving in, and I love hearing people's stories of their life. And the lessons that you learn and how captivated you are by a total stranger. StoryCorps. Fascinating hearing this slice of somebody's life and enjoying whatever it is that they have to share of learning love, life, relationships, and making uh, their way through the trials and the blessings and the joys of their lives. So what about storytelling, sharing our lives, sharing our life narrative? It helps other people, but it also helps us. It's kind of like that same idea of 12-step recovery meetings. You share your experience, your hope, your wisdom, and there's something of connection that happens when you share your story and somebody honors your story by listening. That's part of what I think makes 12-step groups work so well. Nancy Mellon said, although setbacks of all kinds may discourage us, the grand old process of storytelling puts us in touch with strengths we have, may have forgotten, with wisdom that has faded or disappeared, and with hopes that have fallen into darkness. There's a lot that benefits us through story. We talk in psychology a lot about resilience. Well, stories help build resilience. There's nothing like hearing somebody else's journey, I want that, or I don't want that, or I want, and we begin to role model off of what we hear. It also, in research about narrative storytelling, especially in the senior years, it, it makes sense of the patterns of our lives. When we're in the thick of it, we don't often get it. But when we hear a story and we compare our story with it and we see patterns in other people's lives, we begin to see God's hand and that patterning in our life. And it's much like if those of you who are quilters, 
you usually have a grand design for your quilt. But in the moment, somebody looks at you piecing together just pieces, and they don't get it. But our senior journeys and our life narrative, when we look back and we see the pattern, we see the quilt, we make sense of the events of those patterns in our lives, and we see God's hand and where he's brought us. Sharing a story, you don't do that alone. Uh, so with someone else or with a small group, you're building connections. And those connections provide that kind of support. Nancy Rombosch says, you could say that telling a story is the pretext for getting together in a personal way. The conversation guides that we have written don't tell you what uh, to say or what to do, but they ask like we do in pastoral care or counseling. We ask open-ended questions and people tell their stories. It's a pretext to get together in a personal way. Eric Erickson, name meaning anything to some of you who might be on the psychological side of uh, studies? Well, he did his eight psychosocial stages of man, psychological and social. That was how he contrasted with Freud that saw everything through the lens of sexuality, uh, psychosexual stages. Eric Erickson talked about psychosocial stages, and he had these eight stages that we develop uh, in our lives. The last stage being what we're focused on today, ego integrity versus despair. And it's I, this idea that we have some introspection, we reflect on life, that in this last stage, there's a sense of fulfillment. Life has been worthwhile, it's been good. And so he would say that successfully navigating this ego integrity versus despair stage of life leads to feelings, a sense of wisdom, sense of satisfaction, while failure leads to this sense of regret, bitterness, despair. And we've known seniors who have a despair journey in their life and things have turned out badly. Uh, and they, of all people, need support, connection, and friendship. And then we see seniors who have done well. Uh, I have an aunt who goes to Brentwood Hills Church in Nashville, been there just a couple of years in her last senior days, uh, living with a daughter and son-in-law. And Rhonda and I have always said, oh, we wish she were our next door neighbor because she exudes the Holy Spirit in her life, a spirit of gentleness, a spirit of faith, a spirit of kindness, that is just infectious. I think Aunt Dottie has done ego integrity throughout her life, and life has not been easy for her and for her family and for the medical crises and caregiving journey that they lived out with my cousin who had cerebral palsy. Life was not easy, but they decided they were gonna make this God's journey and not all about them and being inconvenienced in their life. That's another topic. We could spend a while telling stories about Aunt Dottie and Rob. Uh, so I mentioned Kara Powell, uh, the presentation, uh, Growing Churches Young, sharing with teens these same three basic questions of identity. Who am I? Where do I fit? Do I belong? What difference do I make? What purpose is there in my life? 
So Eric Erickson would say we have these things we need to do in tasks of later adulthood. We have a sense of life review that happens as we tell stories. Giving and receiving love as we connect with each other, as we share uh, and we give love and support. The sense that our life has been meaningful, some assurance there and some trust that this was worth doing. Obviously, there are physical challenges of aging, and, um, and so accepting that is just part of the journey. And it does amaze me how, as I look ahead of me in seniors that are facing greater physical challenges than I, how they just accept it and they work with it and they do the best they can. And if getting off and on these buses uh, are risky and curbs, they're watching out, and yet they're still going and doing what they feel called to do to enjoy God's kingdom, a little piece of heaven right here in Malibu. And so developing a perspective on death, that's certainly part of uh, this last stage. It's amazing, you know, I'm the counselor type, and I'm supposed to be able to talk about everything, including the big ones, sex and death. And my dad, in his last days, his last years before he died, and mom had already gone ahead, he longed to see mom and Jesus. And he was quite comfortable talking about death. And I'm saying, I know, Ed, sit here, listen, nod, ask a gentle question or so, and keep this conversation going, because that's what dad needs. And yet, this was some years back. I felt pretty <gasps> uncomfortable. Uh, and yet, a perspective on death. Older folks, we're closer to that, and it becomes a much more doable, meaningful conversation. So appreciating the past, living in the present, and our perspective on death, what that means in our future uh, for whatever days we have uh, left on God's earth. So telling stories. It's part of this task of older adulthood. In fact, I remember as a kid when I was uh, visiting with my grandparents, I would uh, crawl in bed with my grandfather and he would tell me stories about growing up on the farm and the sawmill. Serving others, part of what we do that we find meaning and that we're useful is that we provide service. To others. So one of the things that I've done in the uh, life after 60, which was the first thing that uh, we wrote, uh, this idea that if we get 12 conversations going and we have some topics that cover Erickson's tasks, then whether it's over coffee, one-to-one, uh, -one, or a small group, or a, a coffee clatch in your home neighborhood, or down at the church building, whatever your circumstances facilitates, getting people together and just having a good time telling stories. When we do that, it's not an overt evangelism thing if outsiders from the kingdom are part of our friendships, but God shows up in our stories. And so it does become what we used to call some years ago friendship evangelism because people get to learn about our experience with God, and we see how much is a loom passing thread back and forth, building, uh, creating a rug, 
we see God's work in our lives as we share stories with one another, as we support and are engaged in friendship with one another. So I like analogies and metaphors. So I think uh, I like to make this analogy that life after 60 conversations, it's like hiking. You're looking back and yet you're looking forward. You're thankful for where you've been and you're thankful for where you are and what you're looking forward to. There's a sense of memories. And Rhonda and I, when we did marriage mentoring development, when we go and mentor with younger couples, we enjoy the memory lane of what that is like. And we always say, Reader's Digest version, you know, give the short story, not, you know, 30 minutes, because after we finish our mentoring date night, uh, then we can pick back up and reminisce and we enjoy uh, that sense of memories. Well, later adult life, it is this time for reflection, continued enjoyment of active living. Uh, it's a phrase you'll see these days in uh, gerontology circles. Um, it's caring for one another and it's sharing with younger generations because passing on our faith, passing on our legacy, passing on our lives and who we are, it lives on well beyond our physical lives here on this earth, the stories that we share. One of the things interesting that uh, Susan Gibney, if you were at anybody at the Three Generations of Faith, didn't you love that story that she told about the Christmas gift one year? She asked for mugs from each of her grandchildren, something that was kind of them, that they chose for her. And the idea that each morning with her coffee, she would uh, pick a different mug each morning, and that would be the grandchild uh, of her 10 or so that she would then pray for that grandchild today. So every 10 days, grandma is praying for her or him. Pretty awesome story, but it's out of the power of story that we get ideas. I like that. So we're, for the sake of time, not gonna go through all of these, but I'd like to at least uh, show you a couple of things so that you see kind of the flavor of what we've done in the Senior to Senior 12 Conversations booklet. We start off with a quote or two. Uh, family faces are magic mirrors. Looking at people who belong to us, we see the past, present, and future. And so getting together with somebody, maybe you don't know them, maybe you've known them for years at your church, but have you shared stories about where you were born and raised? Uh, what was your community like? What was your family uh, like when you were growing up? What are some of your memories, some of your traditions? It's a way to get people connecting that's just natural and normal. So let's look uh, a little further here. Conversation two about thankfulness. Not what we say about our blessings, but how we use them is the true measure of thanksgiving. So if you are writing a letter to someone in your life that you're thankful for, who would it be? What would you say? Anybody want to say, if you were writing a letter to somebody in your life, who would that be? My daddy. Your daddy. Thank you. 
Oh my. Uh, oh my. So dad called the state police. They were like opposites. My brother was tall, he was short. My brother was blonde, he was dark. So it was just a tailor. Ten years later, he got home from Albania, the brother, where he had been teaching English. And he had a Harley Davidson charged on his credit card. It had been bought in Seattle, ridden down to San Diego, and trashed. But he could prove he wasn't there because he was in Albania. So he wasn't held responsible. But I share this story with students and say, you can use your intelligence for good or bad because that individual was sharp. They were creative and in well, their I crime. I that number for 10 years and know the name. I mean, it just blew me away. So I tell the kids, he didn't have to pay for it, but we all pay for it. Yeah. And kids can't comprehend that. stories they just come to us there's just instantaneous what we are aware of and so this is how we get people together thinking about what they're thankful for in their life conversation three is health wellness and nutrition i love these quotes if um i'd known i was going to live so long i'd have taken better care of myself or I love Mark Twain's comment, be careful about reading health books, you may die of a misprint. <laughs> but when we look at what do you like to do for exercise, we know that's important. I've quit Googling anything that's physical therapy that doesn't have seniors in front of it. Because I usually, when I'm trying to stretch or do something, and I get on a regular website or a YouTube video and I overdo it, then I'm two months recovering what I've just you know, even made worse. Uh, but anyway, what do we do for exercise? How do you adjust to changes in strength, vision, and dexterity? What are your sleep habits like? Uh -huh. Anybody share a journey and, oh, anybody got some magic for sleep habits uh, kind of thing? Rhonda's not sure where I'll be at night. Uh, we have night lights throughout our house because it may be the recliner, maybe the bed. Who knows where I'm landing? Uh, but anyway, uh, what's helpful to you? What would a good friend say to you about your eating habits? My mom was a master's level uh, dietetics, dietitian back in the day, what they called it. And when she and dad would open up a can of corn and call that dinner, we kind of go, mom, what happened to the food groups? Uh, what happened to a little effort? And so they lived not a mile away from St. Charlotte. St. Charlotte is my sister-in-law. We have given her sainthood uh, though saint is not part of her name, because she loved on my parents so much, and she would cook big and then freeze well in Tupperware containers. And mom and dad, I'm sure, lived healthier and better because their eating habits were improved by St. Charlotte. Um, all right, let's go to another conversation uh, for some sampling. Friendships. A friend is one of the nicest things you can have, one of the best things you can be, Friendship isn't a big thing, it's a million little things. So describing, who is one of your best friends? 
What do you, would you say about that friendship? Describe what a friend did for you when they needed help, when you needed help, and what did you do for a friend when uh, they needed your help? And again, just the connecting of lives through the power of stories, just open-ended questions that can bless us as we take the time uh, to connect. Uh, current and family relationships, that's sometimes a tremendously joyful journey. Sometimes it's a rather painful journey. And so uh, these quotes, families are like fudge, mostly sweet with a few nuts. Uh, newlyweds become oldieweds, and oldieweds are the reasons that marriages and families work. Yes, we, we can love our family in small doses. Good wisdom. Uh, make that visit shorter when they aren't telling you, isn't it time you should be going? Leave a little sooner when they still want you to share and stay. Uh, but anyway, so what, what changes have occurred in your family recently? Or what relationships are you particularly thankful for? What are some of your most treasured family member, memories? Who is the love of your life? Because if you're walking the single journey and you're no longer uh, blessed with the presence of your spouse, how do you stay connected with friends and family? And where do you get your hugs from? Important developmental questions. Work and careers, our conversation six. I love this quote by Toynbee. The supreme accomplishment is to blur the line between work and play. So what kind of work have you done for a living? If you get guys together who have not met one another before, the first thing they'll say is, what have you done? Where did you work? What do you do? What's your profession? How do you continue to use your talents from your working years? Mick Jagger, Paul McCartney, hmm they're still doing the very talents that they have. And how do we take out of our career, whether it be business, service, industry, whatever it is that we've done, how do we take that into the senior years and continue to use that in kingdom work? So church and community activities, conversation uh, seven. Uh, a good exercise for the heart is to bend down and help another up. This is part of that service uh, paradigm as we were looking at seniors in ministry. Um, so how are you able to use your uh, career talents currently as a volunteer? And I like this uh, prompt. How would you complete the following sentence? I feel useful when? And getting somebody that gets it and understands you. What do you like to do with your career talents currently as a volunteer? Conversation eight is lifelong learning. I love this. Don't simply retire from something. Have something to retire to. Harry Emerson Fosdick. When Rhonda and I were doing the Smart Marriages uh, circuit uh, a number of years back, a grassroots uh, marriage uh, effort in our country, um, I said, I want to have something to do beyond teaching at Harding University teaching counseling. I love going to churches, love going to speak. Uh, and, and so that was the creation of the initial 12 conversations program for marriage. And then Susan Gibney, some of you who know, uh, collaborated with me on our dating uh, version of 12 conversations. And then uh, she said, Ed, we need something for caregivers because she's walked a number of caregiving journeys. So we developed a caregivers model 
of 12 conversations, and then a grief 12 conversations model. So Rhonda has those in the back that if you're interested in picking one of those up, they're normally $12 on the website, but today $10 and uh, no shipping. If you need to take some back, if you're wanting to do this as a ministry uh, and you'd like to pay for them today, and then we'll ship them for free and you can have them at the $10 rate if you're wanting to take a number of them home. But this idea that lifelong learning is something we wanna do, and so this is my career after my career, is getting to do senior weekend workshops, not just marriage weekend or marriage mentor training workshops. So Rhonda likes to travel more than I do, but this is one way she gets me out away from Memphis. Uh, I am an introvert and I am comfortable in my own little cubby in my own little home kind of thing, but anyway. Lifelong learning. So what is it that you're continuing to learn? We were up in Canada at one point and I remember uh, this older couple, uh, Wilma was her name, and she said one of her goals was to learn to swim. She'd always been afraid of swimming. So they got a YMCA membership and had access to a pool and in her mid to late 70s, Wilma learned to swim. So what's one new thing that you might like to do or pick back up that you haven't had the time for? Okay, grandparenting. Um, it's amazing how grandparents seem so young once you become one. Uh, anyway, um, that's a topic of conversation. Do you have grandchildren? Share about them. Anybody ever had a, a problem sharing about your grandchildren? No, in fact, here out comes the phone, here come the pictures. If you don't have grandchildren, are there children that you're involved with in your life? And that's what I like about Kara Powell's illustration of Bill, 72, going to kids' games and cheering them on, even though they're not his grandkids. Another conversation, spirituality and purpose. Uh, what's uh, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. Um, I like Lincoln's quote, I never had a policy, I just tried to do my very best each and every day. And isn't that showing up in the kingdom? One, take one day at a time, absolutely. Yes, a lot of wisdom there. So some conversation questions uh, there. Uh, then also problem solving, uh, serenity prayer, Reinhold Niebuhr. God grant me the serenity, accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. I love this last one. If, if at first you don't succeed, do it like your mother told you to. <laughs> so anyway, how do you address problems? What are some of the recent changes going on in your life? It's a way to get seniors supporting one another rather than waiting for the minister to come visit or the elders to come visit or someone to somehow read your mind of what your needs are. And so this idea of what stresses have you encountered, how are you coping with them, what emotional challenges and adjustments have you encountered, what's helped you? So problem solving, uh, getting people to talk and share their stories. And then echoing Erickson's eighth stage, ego integrity. The measure of a man's real character is what he would do if he knew he never would be found out. 
or this idea from Will Rogers, who always has the humor way of saying something, live in such a way that you would not be ashamed to sell your parrot to the town gossip. <laughs> For whatever the parrot might have heard in your home, and repeat. Okay, and so again, looking at who's been the most important person in your life, how did he or she influence you, what's become one of the most important lessons you've learned? How did you learn it? And getting to share that wisdom and be encouraged by somebody else's story. Well, those are samples of what the 12 conversations uh, for Life After 60 are about. And we figured if we did that this morning in the presentation, uh, we'll spend a few minutes overviewing uh, our 12 conversations for caregivers. This is something that uh, Susan Gibney and I uh, wrote. She did some introduction points about the caregiving journey. And then I did the counselor kind of open-ended questions uh, type of thing. But I love what Rosalind Carter uh, wrote in Helping Yourself Help Others, a book for caregivers. There are only four kinds of people in the world. Those have been caregivers, those who are currently caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need caregiving. How many of you have already been in the providing caregiving for other people? Yes. And it's a 24-7 kind of burnout, love, overwhelming kind of experience. And so if you look at words, you might see caregiving can be well orchestrated. In some situations, it has to be. In other times, it's just intensely chaotic, overwhelming. It may be out of love or frustrations, hope, despair, gratefulness, resentment. I mean, feelings are all over the map about caregiving. Theological reflection, think of Ruth and Naomi. These three women, Ruth and her two daughters-in-law, Orpha and Ruth, they're all widowed. Orpha goes home to her uh, people, but Ruth stays with Naomi, and it's a story of commitment, it's a story of caring. As Ruth encourages her, go back to your people. Ruth replies, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And you think how we use this in weddings. It's a wonderful statement of commitment. But what's really borne out in the relationship of a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law, and don't you imagine what caregiving on multiple levels occurred between Ruth and Naomi. We talk about caregiving becomes like a third person or a third, an entity that moves in to the family relationship or the couple relationship. So it may bring us closer together or it may rob us of our joy and become a kaleidoscope of problems. If you want an interesting read, uh, Gail Sheehy, who's written, written, who has written a number of books on passages about life, wrote a book, uh, Passages in Caregiving. And she talks about um, a job description uh, for that um, and duties. Um, for the sake of time, we'll, we'll flip through that. But if you want to hear her story of some multiple caregiving journeys with her husband, who uh, struggled through cancers, uh, it's a wonderful read. 
and she talks a lot about the things. I read her book and it prompted me to write a number of the 12 conversations, topics and questions. But the importance of uh, giving caregivers support. I had one church in Oklahoma that was very techy and one of the things they said, Ed, could a caregiver get online in a video conference or a group Skype call in the evenings and talk? I said, why not? Because one of the things that's difficult is when you're on a 24-7 journey, it's hard for you to even leave the house sometimes, depending on what other support staff or family you have. And so getting people together on Skype uh, or a video conferencing meeting was a way to talk these 12 conversations. Um, another idea for using this, our church did um, three Wednesday nights where we had a nurse, we had a nursing home administrator, and we had me talking about some of the psychological needs of caregivers uh, and those who are being cared for. And then I said, for the next 10 to 12 weeks after that Wednesday night class, how many of you would like to stick around and just engage in conversations about what this journey has been like for you. And over half the hands went up and you had an instant support group for people to talk about the journey and joy and challenges of their caregiving journey. So we look at life before the diagnosis, we look at how the journey begins, uh, the physical challenges of care, uh, medical team issues, support roles, support networks, what you need, managing outcomes and how that sometimes can be so frustrating, uh, legal and financial matters, um, tremendous issues for uh, end of life issues and living wills and medical power of attorney kinds of things and having real people talk around that. I was talking with a, a friend just uh, the other day and it's something I hadn't thought about. How about your digital records? Who has power to do anything with your Facebook account when you die? What about your email accounts? All these kinds of digital footprints we now have and if passwords aren't known and rights aren't given, and so now there's something more to add to um, legal and financial matters. Insurance issues, the struggles with Medicare or secondary providers, people's stories. Sometimes you learn some things by other people's challenges, mistakes, or things that they've found that have worked really well. Obviously self-care for the caregiver. When I do weekend workshops, we spend some time on stress management kinds of things with that. Um, planning for the future whatever that future looks like. And then if the caregiving journey means saying goodbye and this side of heaven no longer being together, how do you wanna do that? Or how have you seen others do that? So those are the 12 conversation topics. Um, let's uh, do escape and skip some things. I knew we wouldn't get to all of this. So let's go grief and loss. 12 conversations for caregivers, uh, for uh, those who are grieving. We think of 1 Corinthians 1 uh, for our theological reflections. 
Uh, God, uh, our Father being the God of all compassion, all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And so we look at processing loss, and it may be loss of job. We haven't said dying anywhere in here, but it may be dying journeys, maybe loss of career, maybe other kinds of losses, but it's loss of attachment, and it's not fixed by logic, and the best thing is the passing of time in a sense of loving support and community. And so it's a moving forward. Grief doesn't just end, and just looking at timing and stages about grief, I think that misses the boat. Uh, but Grief is more like a mist, a wave, a fog that we just are in a journey that we're just trying to get through. And so narratives help telling the story, retelling the stories of our loved one. Um, I had a friend, uh, Rhonda and I had a friend, and Alan's request when Debbie died uh, was tell me stories about Debbie. And there are things that he learned about his wife after she died uh, of cancer that so blessed him that he had not known. And it was a tremendous thing to keep Debbie's life going in his heart and others. And so we have these conversation topics, experiencing the loss, understanding the types of loss, sharing your grief story, experiencing the pain, understanding stages that you're going through, guiding family and others in your loss, because sometimes people say, with kindness intentions, but stupid things. Isn't it better that they're in heaven? Oh, and they have, we could spend an, half an hour saying, what are the stupid things you have said, I have said, or others have said to you in your grief? You don't want to go there. But in a 12 Conversations grief group, you can go there. Uh, and then remembering life before the loss, adjusting life expectations, adjusting physically, financially, new horizons, gaining wisdom and giving wisdom. And those are uh, the uh, topics of conversation, ways to engage people in their journey. Got another minute or two for questions, uh, but uh, anything you'd like to uh, ask briefly, Gary? You know, I'm not, it was lifechurch.tv was there. What a great uh, uh, website. You know, I'm not sure. This was one of those inspirations at a conference. You're co-exhibiting uh, together, and, and he's asking me and getting some of the materials. And then uh, the Smart Marriages Conference went away. So I'm not sure. But I could think of his name if I go through the file cabinet of my mind here. All right. Yes. Absolutely. I so respect what Sojourners does. In mass, show up in a group and serve. Well, that's our time for today. I'd love to talk with you further. If you want to pick up one or all three of the books, Rhonda has those back there. 
thank you to the Boone Center for inviting this topic and for us to get to do it. And they'll put you on the list and also any workshop evaluations, please hand those in. Um, so thank you for coming today and being part of this.